Hey, 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 this is Laura. And this is Ardine, and welcome to What Happens After Dark. Yes, What Happens After Dark. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to a new episode, well, not new episode, but the continuation of William... Bonin, our freeway killer, but it's the last episode, guys. You don't you. have to keep listening to this shit anymore. And believe me, we're ready for this yes. part to be done. We are so ready for this we part are to so be ready. done. Uh-uh. Uh, it's just very disturbing. So <laughs> let's talk about what we found. Okay. And we're going to talk about something pretty. Something yeah, we're going to talk about something good. So I found this on KSL.com. It says, have you seen this? Gliding along with a massive manta ray. I love these animals. Number one, I love the ocean. So do I. I was born and raised on the ocean, man. Mm -hmm. Um, But the picture of this, and I'll find it on my phone so I can post it to our stuff too. But the picture of this gigantic manta ray, it is so beautiful. And um, the picture says scuba divers swim with a manta ray in Mexico. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this is like a dream of mine. Oh, I've gone whale watching I over the to. years and I've encountered different things in the ocean when I've been swimming, but to go and actually like go below the water deep down and be able to see something like this, this would be like a dream come true for so me. Before I moved from Florida, I was going to get my license, my scuba diving license. But then the move was so quick, Mm -hmm. I didn't do it. But it's on my bucket list because I do want to go and encounter dolphins. Because when I'm in the beach, I always see them. Yeah. Every single time. And I I see them wherever I go on the the ocean. There's dolphins everywhere. I figure I want to see them up close underneath the water and lose that fear of being underwater. Because I drowned when I was little. Oh, wow. In sixth grade. And I have that fear of being underwater. I can't stand it. So I thought this helped me get rid of that fear and experience yeah. the beauty of what's underneath. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I figure if I get my scuba diving license, I want to go before the coral reef is gone in Australia. Oh, yeah. Because that's the most beautiful coral reef in mm-hmm. the world that you can even see, they say, from the moon. It's just so colorful, so powerful, so beautiful. I think scuba diving there would be amazing. An amazing experience. Yeah. It's yeah. on my bucket list. Hey, they do scuba diving lessons here. We can look into it in the future. I know. What's crazy is they do them in Utah, even though there's no ocean. Mm-hmm. But we have enough lakes and reservoirs. That Where we can learn to scuba yeah. dive and then go down mm-hmm. to Florida and experience Oh, yeah. I would lo- absolutely love that. I had a similar experience. I would think I was older than sixth grade, though. But mm-hmm. one of the first times I actually like ventured out into the ocean mm-hmm. to do the body surfing, mm-hmm. a wave came and drug me underneath and mm-hmm. I couldn't get up. I remember the panic I was mm-hmm. feeling um, and eventually did end up on the shore. But that is a scary experience. It is. And you have to have a lot of respect for the ocean. I tell yes. you, if you don't. It'll swallow you whole. Yeah, it's it's beautiful, but mm-hmm. it's also very fierce and dangerous. It is. So you got to know what you're doing. And mm-hmm. I know there's boats that will take you scuba diving and stuff. And you can rent the tanks. Uh, you can rent certain things like the mouthpiece. You have to have your own yeah. your belt with the weights. You have to have mm-hmm. that because that's what keeps you down. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was learning a few things while I was there. 
And so it's on my bucket list and I will make sure I get that done. Yep. I would love to do that too. I don't have any desire to like skydive or jump out of any kind of planes Mm -hmm. or anything because I'm very afraid of heights, but it put me in the ocean and I'm like, I could just, I always wanted to like have a house underneath the Mm. ocean. Wouldn't that be beautiful? Yeah. I would would be amazing, but it would be so scary. The pressure and all that stuff. Have you seen the movie with Kirsten Stewart um, underwater? No. Oh, That'll freak you the hell out. I own that movie. Oh, it's under. really, really, really good. Um, another one is an, I remember growing up and there was a movie I watched with my parents. I cannot find it. I don't remember the name of it. If you guys know what I'm talking about, send us an email um, or comment somewhere because I would love to find this movie. And it's an about an underwater like facility. And I want to say like, uh, Jerry Lewis's son sings in it or something. I just, I, and it's from probably like the sixties. Yeah. I would say 60 ish mm-hmm. in that era, but I remember that movie and I just, I loved that movie and my mom can't remember what it's called either. And I know there was a movie called the yellow submarine, but mm-hmm. this is different than that movie. Okay. And so I think my mom's remembering the Yellow Submarine movie where I, this was where my love of the ocean came from, okay. was the minute I saw that movie. And and I know it was all fake and it was Hollywood, but the, the, the what is that word, depictation mm-hmm. of like the beautiful colored fish and. Which is real. I mean, I know. and back then the coral reefs were. Glorious. Glorious. And now they're slowly dying because of the The change in the temperature and the pollution and the Mm -hmm. changes of the currents due to that earthquake that moved uh, the earth off there. And so when the corals turn white, that means they're dead. That's when they're white. And so a lot of coral reefs are dying. dying. They're turning white. So we got to enjoy that before it's gone. <laughs> and I even like that movie, um, The Meg with um, Jason Stratham with the big Megalodon. And they, that was made like maybe five years ago or so. And, mm-hmm. and you know, the giant shark that comes back up once they go down below a certain point. But mm-hmm. I love that movie too, just because J- number one, Jason Stratham is one hot yeah, he's man. Hot man. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but also because it gives like they're under the ocean, their, their facility is under the ocean. And I just so badly would mm-hmm. love is to, it called Megalodon, I think? yeah, the Meg or something like that. Okay. Yeah. I have the that Meg, movie I too. I think I'm going to watch that tonight when I clean my house. Oh, but yeah, now that I talked about Let it, me I put want that it. on my list so I can go find it and hopefully it's on Netflix or something. Yeah. I think it is on, um, yeah. And also yeah. I want to ride on a hot air balloon. That's See, not me. That's list. heights again. I I, just, I have fear, but I think these things help you conquer that. So I wanted. I can't even watch a movie where someone's skydiving and I start to get very anxious oh, in my really? stomach. Yeah. Oh, so and, my fear is not that big then. And I try to remember back, like, did I fall from some great height and I just have repressed the memory mm-hmm. that has made this Possibly, for me? Possibly, yeah. So I don't know. Or maybe even in a past life. Maybe that Could was a be. way I died. You died, yeah. Because you do bring stuff from your past lives forward. So. And unconsciously, of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I believe that too. Well, well, let's get to it. Let's, let's get to the highway killer. Yeah. And this episode, guys, is probably going to be a little bit longer. I'm sorry, but we've got 
uh, about 33 pages worth of content. So I'm going to try to skip over or just kind of shorten things as much as I can. Um, so we left off where um, Bud's had put an axe to his friend's throat and said, I'd like to see your blood gush out and hear your screams. Um, so some time passed here. So Bonin is not known to have killed again until on or about November 1st, 1979, when he and Butts abducted and murdered an unidentified young man with brown hair whom Bonin claimed to be about five foot six inches tall and 18 years of age. Um, this victim was savagely beaten reportedly by both captors and strangled to death by Bonin before his fully clothed body was discarded in an irrigation ditch alongside State Route 99 south of Bakersfield. So again, these guys are all over the place. Bakersfield is up in the mountains. You're coming from California or coming from Nevada driving. And so they're so far away from the beach. So they are all over the city. Um, during this ordeal, Bonin allegedly asked the victim whether he knew why he had to die. He then further explained why stating, your folks paid us to find you and kill you. So that's the last the last thought for this young man. Yes, His parents hired this asshole to kill him, and which is untrue, you know. It's but, not, but it's just the way of torturing mentally. No. So Bonin strangled the youth before inserting an ice pick up into the nostrils and the right ear. Yeah. Um, so then four weeks later, about four weeks later, on November 30th, Bonin, operating alone, abducted a 17-year-old bellflower youth. This is so close to where I grew up, guys. Um, Frank Dennis Fox, during the process of ligature strangulation, Bonin had killed the youth while still sodomizing him. His body was found two days later alongside the Ortega Highway, five miles east of San Juan Capistrano. So just to give you some uh, like distance again, bellflower is... Um, like not near the ocean at all. And then you go up to um, San Juan Capistrano, which is more north and along. It's like above LA, I think even. Mm -hmm. So he just went so far. Um, so the body bore signs of extensive blunt force trauma to the face and head with ligature marks on his wrists and ankles, indicating Fox had been bound throughout his ordeal no clothing or other identifying evidence was discovered at the scene. Um, so then... 15, so they threw him naked. Yeah. Yep. So then 10 days after the murder of um, Fox, 15-year-old Long Beach youth, Long Beach is exactly where I grew up, mm -hmm. John Frederick Kilpatrick was offered money for sexual services after leaving his parents' home to socialize with friends. After engaging in mutual oral copulation, the teenager was bound and raped by Bonin in the van before being transported to his parents' house, where he was extensively uh, flagellated um, with string until he cried and strangled to death and strangled to death with the uh, aforementioned string. Um, so, gosh, they just were beating. And he him. took him to his mom's house to kill mm -hmm. him there. Yep. What a bold. Um, they drove all the way over to Rialto, um, with, in, in a remote area to dump his body. I graduated from Fontana High School. Rialto was right on the backside of Fontana. Um, so very close to home for me. His body was found on December 13th. 
Kilpatrick remained known as John Doe until August of August 5th of 1980. He went so long with no, no, not knowing who he was. Mm-mm. Um, because Kilpatrick, he was a troubled youth whose parents had recently divorced, was known to disappear for days at a time. His mother re- uh, hesitated to report the disappearance. His friends also mistakenly reported seeing him at the mall. As a result, he was not reported missing until February. Um, so he went a long time. Um, and then on January 1st, 1980, Bonin encountered 16-year-old Ontario youth, again, same area, Michael Francis McDonald, near the Chino Airport, under the guise of providing drugs to, for him to sell. Bonin parked behind in an apartment building before binding the body, the boy by knife point, um, beating the youth into submission. McDonald orally copulated Bonin before being subject to genital squeezing and mm. rape in the van. His fully clothed body was found alongside Highway 71 in the outskirts of Chino, along, um, although his body was not identified until March 24th. So again, another one. He uh, probably started beating them to the point where they were not unrecognizable. Being able to recognize them. Yeah. Because again, he was going to make sure there's no more witnesses. Yeah. And if he's picking up, you know, boys that are either prostitutes or mm-hmm. from troubled homes, their families may not. not going to miss him for that long. No, no. So we're going to talk about the particip- participation of Gregory Miley. Um, we He met him when he met Butts, if you remember. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're going to talk about the murders of Miranda and Macab. So on the morning of February 3rd, 1980, Bonin invited a 16-year-old boy into his parents' house to drink and engage in intercourse. When Bonin briefly departed to urinate, he allegedly caught the youth stealing $100 from his bill, billfold. Furious, Bonin resolved to commit a murder. Um, later that evening, Bonin drove from Downey to Hollywood with Gregory Miley with the specific intention of committing murder with him. Um, they encountered 15-year-old Charles Miranda standing close to the Starwood nightclub hitchhiking along Santa Monica Boulevard, which again, that boulevard is just, it's known for hitchhikers. It's known for prostitution. It's this drug dealers. Yeah. It's just known for that. So, Mm. um, according to Miley, Bonin and Miranda engaged in consensual intercourse in the rear of the van as he drove before Bonin privily stammered to him, kids going to die, kids going to, and this kid's going to die. Miley replied, replied, stating, why don't you just let the kid go? Bonin rejected this proposition, stating, no, because he'll know us and know the van. Miranda was then overpowered by Bonin, who who asked Miranda how much money um, he had. Miranda said he had about $6, after which Mm. Bonin told Miley to uh, take Miranda's wallet. Then Bonin beat, bound, and gagged Miranda. He then informed Miranda of his being robbed earlier that day and thought um, and thought that it was fair the youth was to be killed. Um, initially doubting Bonin, Miranda began crying and begging for his life. Bonin then began sexually, sexually assaulting Miranda. Miley also attempted to rape Miranda, but an, he was unable to sustain an erection. So this Miley guy, you know, I feel like... He couldn't keep it up, so, so he probably had this. Frustration. He has a lot of frustrations. Yeah. 
Um, in frustration, Miley assaulted the youth with various sharp objects before assisting Bonin in beating him. Bonin then strangled Miranda to death with a t-shirt and a tire iron as Miley repeatedly jumped on Miranda's chest. His nude corpse was dumped shortly thereafter in an alleyway alongside East 2nd Street in Los Angeles. Mm. Okay, so five minutes after the pair had discarded Miranda's body, Bonin suggested to Miley, I'm horny again. Let's go mm. and do another one. Five minutes right after? So I'm, I'm thinking there's got to be some kind of like where there's a disorder if a man cannot have an erection. And also then there's, it's got to be like a disorder. Too many. Yeah. Where it's like. They want too many orgasms. One after another. Yeah. After another and after can another. like. Sex addicts. Yeah. And can maintain an erection mm. like that. I mean, I don't know. Mm. Just so rude. Like just that verbiage. It just makes me want to vomit. Um, Miley initially protested and stated he wanted to go home, but eventually complied with Bonin's insistence. A few hours later in Huntington Beach, the pair encountered a 12-year-old James <sighs> McCobb standing at a bus stop on the corner of Beach Boulevard and Slater Avenue. Temporary left alone, McCabe had dropped off there by his older brother, who had given McCabe money and with whom he stayed for the weekend. McCabe was lured into Bonin's van on the promise he would be driven to his intended destination of Disneyland with the additional incentive of marijuana. 12 years old. It's just, they're babies. That's a baby. Um, it makes me sick. According to Miley, McCabe entered the rear of the van voluntarily, after which Bonin drove to a grocery store parking lot, parking the van and entering the rear of the vehicle where he began hugging and kissing the child. He then bound McCabe, telling him he was being kidnapped for ransom. And I forgot to give our disclaimer, so I'm just going to do that real quick so we don't get tagged. Um, so what happens after dark does not condone murder, violence, anything like that. We're just presenting the facts of these insane people. Um, and it came to me while, we were, while I was talking about this young boy. I <laughs> just want to put that out there. We do not condone this shit. No. So, um so to subdue the child, Bonin began repeatedly punching him in the stomach, mouth, and leg. Miley then drove in an aimless manner for what he later described as being very, very long distance. As he repeatedly heard McCabe, cry McCabe crying as Bonin raped McCabe and bludgeoned him about the head with a tire iron. Mm. Bonin then forced McCabe to sleep in his arms. Upon McCabe's waking, Miley joined Bonin in beating the child into unconsciousness simply because he felt like it. Oh, uh, God. Doing so before Bonin crushed McCabe's <sighs> neck with a tire iron. Bonin then strangled McCabe to death with his own t-shirt um, before the pair discarded his corpse alongside a dumpster at a construction site in Walnut City. Um, McCabe's body was discovered three days later, fully clothed, bearing several skull fractures and a bruised penis. Um, for his penis to be bruised, I don't, I don't even know how that happens. So I don't even want to think about how that happens. No. Um, so following the murder of McCabe, Bonin and Miley spent the money retrieved from his wallet for lunch. One day after Miranda and McCabe's murder, Bonin was arrested for violating the conditions of his parole. He was remanded in custody, custody at the Orange County Jail until March 4th. 
So again, I think we're going to see him get released. I'm not quite sure yet. Again. So we shall see. Um, So March 1980. So throughout his adult life, Bonin worked in a series of menial professions such as the aforementioned bartending profession, profession, taxi driving. None of these jobs lasted a significant length of time, and he was frequently unemployed. Following his release, he obtained more secure employment as a truck driver at the former Montebello workplace at Dependable Drive, like we spoke. He was just barely earning like $5 an hour, though. Because back then, you know, minimum wage was was like nothing. Um, Let's see. So, and he used to argue with his boss a lot, but his boss was not aware of him being a, a a sex offender. Had no idea. Um... And then 10 days after Bonin's release from custody on March 14th, he abducted 18-year-old Van Nuys youth Ronald Gatlin. So again, he's been released. Um, I don't understand. So after assaulting the youth, Bonin began hacking at Gatlin's face with an ice pick. Gatlin was beaten and sodomized, suffering, suffering several deep perforating ice pick wounds to the ear and neck before being stabbed with a or strangled with a lit- literature. He also bore signs of extensive beating. The following day, his body was found behind an industrial building in the city of Duarte. Um, one week later, on March 21st, Bonin offered a ride to a 14-year-old hitchhiker, Glenn Norman Barker. Barker was also beaten and raped with objects, then strangled with a literature. His neck had numerous burns made by a cigarette, and his rectum was extensively distended. Um, At approximately 4.07 p.m. the same day, 15-year-old Russell Dwayne Rue was abducted from a bus stop in Garden Grove. Rue intended on hitching a ride to his job as a fast food restaurant person before encountering Bonin. He was bound, beaten, and strangled to death after an estimated eight hours of captivity before his body was discarded along the side, uh, alongside that of Barker in Cleveland National Forest, close to Ortega Highway. Um, Both nude bodies were found on March 23rd, and um, both bore evidence of extensive beating and literature marks on their wrist, ankles, and neck. So, I mean, he's up to like two a day. You know, it's just not one a day is not going to. No. Yeah. Um, So we're going to talk about an encounter with William Pugh. Um, One Friday evening, March in March 1980, Bonin offered 17-year-old William Ray Pugh a ride home as the pair left Frazier's residence. Within minutes of accepting the ride, Bonin asked Pugh whether he would like to engage in sex with him. Pugh later stated he panicked and uh, stuttered upon hearing this question and after sitting in silence for several minutes, attempted to leave the vehicle once Bonin had slowed the van at a stoplight. In response, Bonin seized Pugh by the collar, dragging him back into the passenger seat. According to Pugh, Bonin entered an irritable state before confiding in him that he enjoyed abducting young male hitchhikers on Friday and Saturday nights. So he had time to take his girlfriend roller skating on Sundays. Of course. Um, <laughs> Quality time. Oh, please. Yeah. He tells Pew, if you want to kill somebody, you should make a plan and find a place to dump the body before you even pick a victim. 
Um, Bonin further explained that he had not chosen to refrain from sexually assaulting and murdering Pew out of sediment. He had been spared because their pair had been leaving Frazier's party together. So he spared this guy's life because he, there's another witness. Like people saw him leave this party. Oh. So, yeah. So, you know, there's too many people. Um, next is murder of Harry Turner on March 25th, 1980. Bonin and Pew. So now Pew is helping him. He was a potential victim, but now he's helping him kidnap people. So he becomes mm-hmm. his accomplice. Yeah. So Bonin and Pew abducted 15-year-old runaway Harry Todd Turner from a Los Angeles street. Turner had absconded from a boy's home in the desert community of Lancaster, which is Upper Desert, four days prior to his meeting Bonin and Pew. Pew was to later testify that he and Bonin lured Turner into Bonin's van with an offer of $20 for sex. After binding and sodomizing the youth, Bonin bit into Turner's penis until it tore and bled. Oh, my hell. Oh, that's that makes my the crotch hurt. Of the other child, they were probably chewing on it. Chewing Gosh, on dang. it. I mean, that oh. my crotch is hurting right now. Mm. Okay. Um, Bonin then ordered Pew to beat him, referring to Turner up. After Pew had bludgeoned and beat Turner about the head and body for several minutes, Bonin string, strangled Turner to death with his own T-shirt and tire iron before discarding the body at the near. Um, at the rear delivery door to a Los Angeles business. His genitals were mutilated and he had eight skull fractures inflicted by a blunt instrument. Oh my God. Yeah. On April 10th, Bonin was discharged from parole following his March 4th, 1980 release. He encountered six. I mean, he's just, he's getting released and he's immediately back at it. I don't understand I don't why they understand keep releasing they keep him. Releasing him. I don't know. I don't care if the damn jail's overcrowded. You don't release this someone type of person. Someone like that. Release Mm-mm. someone that just, you know, stole no. a store or something. Mm-hmm. Misdemeanor or whatever. Oh my God. Um, so he encountered 16 year old Bellflower youth Stephen John Wood walking to school. Wood's older brother had introduced him to Bonin, so he willingly entered Bonin's van. Um, His nude, hogtied, and extensively beaten body was discarded in a Long Beach alleyway beside a dumpster, with his head resting against a nearby bench close to the Pacific Coast Highway. Um, Wood's autopsy revealed the youth had been killed by ligature strangulation. Mm -hmm. Prior to disposing of Wood's body, Bonin allegedly drove to a scheduled job interview before eating pizza as he awaited at the onset of dust to safely. So this poor child is sitting in this man's bed, tortured, and he's sitting down having some pizza and Uh, going to a job interview. Oh, my God. The balls on this dude, I swear. I know. Um, four weeks later, on April 29th, Bonin encountered 19-year-old supermarket employee Darren Kendrick while parked in the grounds of the Stanton supermarket where Kendrick worked. Bonin lured Kendrick into his van on the pretext of selling the youth drugs. Bonin then drove to Butt's apartment in Lakewood. Gosh, I used to go to the Lakewood Mall all the time. Um, where the trio began Girl. listening to music as they sat on the couch. When Bonin asked Kendrick whether he was gay, Kendrick attempted to flee. 
but Bonin and Butts overpowered and bound him and Butts sodomized him. Bonin raised the volume of Butts' sound system to cover Kendrick's screams. Butts then held Kendrick's mouth open while Bonin poured chloric hydrate down his throat, um, causing Kendrick to sustain caustic chemical burns to his mouth, chin, stomach, and chest. Um, So Kendrick, who had fiercely fought his attackers, including biting the two men, then halted his resistance as he vomited onto the apartment floor before complaining of dizziness from that, that cork stuff. Noting that Kendrick was losing consciousness and whimpering, Bonin achieved orgasm. Oh my God. He then strangled Kendrick as Girl. Butts drove an ice pick into Kendrick's ear, causing a fatal wound to the uh, used cervical spinal cord. Mm-hmm. His body was discarded behind a warehouse close to the Artesia freeway with the ice pick still protruding um, from his ear. Um, Girl, this is insane. And now there's a quote from Bonin um, describing this murder. He said, the kid started fading out, just kind of whimpering. I don't like raping some limp piece of meat. It's no fun if they don't let me know how it feels. Guess we gave him too much of the stuff. Next time, I figured I wouldn't use as much. Anyways, I'd gotten my rocks off, and the kid was getting boring, so no fun anymore, so I strangled him. What Those kind were of, his words? That's what Bonin said about uh, Darren Lee Kendrick. Son of a gun. I mean, to be so void of human emotion and, yes. like, empathy and compassion, it's just, that's it's a like true psychopath. It's no soul. Yeah, and there that is, is no something soul. You see on every single one of them. I know there's no soul. There's no nothing. Nothing there. And on the pictures I posted of William Bonin, I mean, if you look at his eyes, they're just like black. Yes, they're just there's void nothing. of light. There's nothing. Um, I would even go as far as to say this is far more than even like a demon possession. Like this is definitely just. I don't know. I I how just, they lose that when. Exactly. I think yeah. that once they start doing that stuff, they have such a thirst for it. And then it just, it keeps, and then that overcomes their reality. Like this is now the reality instead of fantasizing about it. It's oh become God, their reality. So mm-hmm. It makes me want to throw up. Yeah. On May 12th, 1980, Bonin abducted and murdered an acquaintance whom he later stated he had decided to kill when he had awoken that morning because he was tired of having him around. Um, The body of 17-year-old Lawrence Sharp was discarded behind a Westminster gas station. His body was found on May 18th, and his autopsy revealed that in addition to being bound and sodomized, Sharp had been extensively beaten about the face and the body, then strangled with a ligature. One week after the murder of Sharp, on the afternoon of May 19th, Bonin asked Butts to accompany him on a killing. On this occasion, however, Butts reportedly refused to accompany him. Operating alone, Bonin abducted 14-year-old Southgate youth Sean King from a bus stop in Downey. King was strangled to death before his body was discarded in Live Oak Canyon in Ukaipa. I've been up that canyon. It's gorgeous. Mm. Um, Bonin then visited Butts' residence and bragged of the killing um, to his accomplice. Like, hey, 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 look what you missed out on, dude. It's like to them to mm-hmm. go killing is like for us to go shopping. Yeah, exactly. Or to, 
I mean, where, like I just said, that is such a beautiful canyon. Like, that's something that you go and enjoy. And yet, this you is imagine where he's whoever stepping. found these yeah, people, that's, these bodies? Mm-mm. That's something you can't No, you erase. can't unsee. No. Yeah, you can't. No. That's why uh, I will never do hiking. Because I don't want to come across Press any of that thing. shit. No. I don't uh-uh. know. No. That's scary <laughs> shit. Mm-mm. It is. I know. And now I swear, when I drive down the highway or on a street, and if I see it like a plastic bag or a blanket or a carpet or, or something oh, yes. on the side I'm of the road. I'm like thinking, I, is, it's is somebody there, in there. Is there a body in there? Am I going to see a hand swinging out or a foot? I know. I, I know. I think about those things. Hi, Millie. Okay, so we're going to talk about surveillance now. So I think they're, the police are start, finally starting to, like, get smarter. Um, so their light bulb just now is starting, starting to, to turn flicker. on. Yeah. Um, by early oh. 1980, the murders committed by Bonin and his accomplices were receiving considerable media attention and a reward totaling $50,000 for information leading to the conviction of the proprietor or or perpetrator or perpetrators had been offered by a leading gay rights activist. Um, Bonin avidly followed uh, news media reports pertaining to his crimes and collected newspaper clippings, like we said, mm-hmm. um, basically documenting his own manhunt. So those were his trophies. Yeah, that's it. Those were his that's trophies. His trophies. Um, often tuning in on the radio and television coverage of the murders along his, um, with his accomplices. Um, having this... Uh, having by this stage determined a definitive link between many of the murders committed within the previous year, investigators from the various ju- uh, jurisdictions um, where victims had been abducted or discovered had themselves um, begun sharing information in their collective um, hunt for the per- perpetrator. So here we are so many years later. This guy's been in and out of jail, in and out of institutions. And now they're trying to figure it out now- who it is. They're just now putting it together. And again, like it, you have all these different counties, um, you know, different police offices working on this. Why would it take this long for them to start communicating and saying, putting hey, two and two together? Yeah, that's where I really have, I have a, a lot similar of that. case. You know, it's on the news. It's on the newspaper. Yeah. I'm, I'm on this county. You're in that county. You're in that county. And, you know, the same thing. Like yeah, connect the dots. And like, they're all, the bodies are all strangulation with a tire and a t-shirt. Yeah. The same M.O. So it's not like it's rocket science. <laughs> Sad. But I feel like they think it's rocket science. <laughs> mm. So six officers from three of the uh, jurisdictions in which the freeway killer had most regularly either abducted or deposited the bodies of the victims formed a task force dedicated to the apprehension of the suspect or suspects who, as one of the officers upon this assembled task force later recalled, was striking at an average rate of once every two weeks in the spring of 1980. By May 1980, Pew had been arrested for auto theft and was housed at the Los Padrinos Juvenile Courthouse. Mm -hmm. On May 28th, he overturned or overheard the details of the ongoing murders on a local radio broadcast and confided to a counselor his recognition um, on the the perpetrator's Mm -hmm. modus operandi as being described to him by Bonin two months previous. 
This counsel reported Pugh's suspicions to the police, who in turn relayed the information to Los Angeles Police Department, the LAPD, Homicide Sergeant John St. John. Upon hearing the confidential tip from the counselor, St. John conducted an extensive interview with Pugh the following day, although Pugh um, withheld the fact that he had accompanied Bonin on one of the murders. Of the course. information he provided led St. John to the to deduce that Bonin might be the freeway killer. And I'm gonna and something has just gone off in my head, a light bulb. So when where my grandparents lived in Long Beach and then uh, uh, like a retired mobile home park for mm-hmm. people, um, there was a police officer named John St. John who <gasps> had bad girl. Yeah, I just remembered this. He drove a red Dodge Stinger, I think is what it was called. Um, but he had left the police department because of such heinous, because of a heinous crime that he had to investigate. This is it. I bet you anything this is him. How many John St. Johns are there? No. I'm sorry. And he's in Long Beach. This guy was in Long, in Long Beach. But yeah. And he had tried <gasps> Girl, to commit how small suicide. Is the world? Oh. Yeah, because of like having to watch this mm-hmm. so and I'm just now putting this together, but I'm just like, I met this police officer. Oh, my God. So um, the same day Pew had informed police of Bonin's involvement, Bonin invited 18-year-old homeless drifter James Michael Monroe, whom he had encountered while cruising for young male prostitutes, um, to move into the Angle Street home he shared with his mother and older brother. Gosh, he's back living at home. Um, but only exchange for sex. So you can live there, but you don't have to pay money, but you need to give me sex. So Monroe was a runaway from St. Clair, Michigan, who had been evicted from his family's home in the early 1980. Monroe had planned on meeting a friend in California, but ended up living on the streets. Following an incident in which he had been robbed of money, he had um, saved from working as a male prostitute in Hollywood. Mm. While at the Angle Street residence, Monroe, who was bisexual and preferred sexual relation with females, began a consensual sexual relationship with Bonin. Mm-hmm. He also accepted a subsequent offer of employment at the Montebello delivery firm where Bonin worked and was followed by Bonin to drive his van on occasion. Monroe later described his initial impression of Bonin as being a good guy, really normal. Um, on June 1st, Bonin took Monroe, um, roller skating with his girlfriend before abruptly informing Monroe that night that he wanted them both to abduct, sexually assault, and murder a teenage hitchhiker. Mm. Um, a police investigation into Bonin's background revealed his extensive history of convictions. Hello, I feel like these people are just like, (laughs) so... Um, of teenage boy St. John assigned a surveillance team to monitor Bonin's movements. Their surveillance of Bonin began on the evening of June 2nd, um, one hour prior to Bonin and Monroe discarding the body of the final freeway killer victim. So we're coming down to the final, the now last. the final murder. Oh. Um, thank goodness, because I'm like... I can't. <laughs> so this is the murder of Stephen Wells. Um, hours... Uh, prior to the implementation of police surveillance of Bonin on the evening of June 2nd, he accompanied by um, June 2nd, he accompanied by Monroe encountered an 18 year old print shop worker, Stephen J. Wells, standing at a bus stop on El Segundo Boulevard. Bo- Bonin and Monroe enticed the youth into the van. According to Bonin and Monroe, 
upon learning Wells was bisexual, Bonin engaged in consensual relations with Wells in the rear of his van before persuading the youth to accompany him to his parents' house, where the two engaged in further sexual relations on Bonin's parents' bed. Wow. Bonin oh, then that's... sent Monroe to purchase burgers. So, oh my gosh. Upon Monroe's return, Bonin convinced Wells to allow himself to be bound with clothesline while um, upon the incentive of being given $200, he then called Monroe to enter the room. Suspicious of their intentions, Wells became frantic. I just want to say, like, being a youth in this time, uh, maybe a gay young man mm. or just a young man, I think I would have stopped, like, being a hitchhiker and stuff mm -hmm. because you're hearing all this stuff. Like, a light Why has got to go Why is a 12-year-old hitchhiking? Well, they come from broken families. And, oh I mean, God. it was such a different time. And I it even is, back then, yeah. I was so trusting. Yeah. Like, if people yeah. approached me in the mall, I would talk to them. Yeah. And yeah. now, I mean, I avoid people like the plague because oh, I yes. just don't trust them. I do, too. Yeah. Um. Let's see. So, Bowman then retreated to the kitchen for water, informing Monroe they were to both kill Wells before gagging and beating Wells in the hallway, stating, you're going to do what I tell you to do. As Wells pled for his life, Bonin smiled as he stole $10 from Wells' wallet, stating his intention to leave his body on a park bench somewhere. He then strangled Wells to death with a t-shirt and tire iron. Monroe asked whether Wells was dead, prompting Bonin to laugh as he replied, yes, yeah, stupid, before adding, haven't you ever seen a dead body before? <gasps> Bonin then threw Wells' T-shirt across the hallway before ordering Monroe, who had retreated to the driveway to breathe, to retrieve a cardboard box from the, his older brother's room. The two placed Wells' body inside the cardboard box, which they then carried to Bonin's van. At approximately 9 p.m., the two drove to Butts Lakewood apartment as Bonin informed Monroe that he, Butts, and others had committed many of the freeway killer murders. At Butts' apartment, the trio engaged in brief conversation before Bonin invited Butts to view Wells' body in the, with the enticement. We got it in the van. It's a good one. Come on out and see it. According to Monroe, Butts, who had been dressed in a Darth Vader costume. <sighs> oh, my gosh. What is that? <gasps> like, breathe like him. Oh, I'm so excited. Your father. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I am your killer. I just oh am like, so he prodded at the body and then he says, oh, you got another good one. He then complimented Bonin stating, good job, Billy. You really did a good one. Um, like that a boy type of attitude. Um, Bonin subs subsequently asked for advice as to where to dispose of the corpse. At Bonin's subsequent trial, uh, Monroe recalled Butts recommending they discard Wells near a gas station. Monroe was later testified that Butts had actively dissuaded Bonin from discarding Wells' body in the nearby canyons due to the late hour and general police presence caused by recent media coverage. Mm -hmm. As they drove to find a spot to dump the body, they encountered a police car, causing Bonin to pri privately mock the officers. They drove to a, a, a disused gas station in Huntington Beach where they wedged Wells' nude corpse between a chain-link fence and a truck. 
The body was discovered five hours later by two brothers who had parked nearby to fix a flat tire. I can't imagine. I mean, and there again, even like a cop car was like right there. And it just was, it just did not happen. Um, Returning to Bonin's parents' home, Bonin and Monroe watched television in search of the news coverage of Wells' discovery. As he bit into his hamburger, Bonin reportedly looked up to the ceiling and stated, thanks, Steve before repeating the statement as he looked down to the floor, adding, wherever you are. Bonin and Monroe both laughed. Later that night, Bonin hinted to Monroe, already fearful for his life, that he should stay quiet regarding Wells' murder or else um, face potential death. So we've made it through the murders. I'm so happy. And he's going to get arrested for the final time. Thank God. God, because if these people would have released him one more time, time, I swear there's going to be like major bitch slapping because those (laughs) cops are probably still alive. I know. I feel like driving over there and and just like shaking them and people is like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Maybe that's why now we don't have as many serial killers that get away with things because I feel like maybe now they're starting to talk and communicate. And there's more forensics and things to keep them. Guilty, and they hold them long enough until they do. So, and it's a good thing. Yes, it is. Cops in CSI and all those involved are not yeah as stupid and naive mm-hmm. as they were. Like you say, you know, back then people were so trusting. And for them to even imagine something like this, it was probably unheard of. Unheard I mean, of. yeah. He probably, all this whole thing probably just altered people's uh, lifestyles and opinions and so and, much. And this is probably why people stop hitchhiking. Yes, which is a good thing. It's a good thing because now you can't do it. Mm-hmm. Like, I think you can get ticketed or something like that. And now we have, you. like, cell phones and stuff, mm-hmm. too, you know, mm-hmm. that make life easier. But, um, I mean, certain, the killings definitely deal, still, deal hot, still happen. We yeah. read about it in the mm-hmm. news. But I feel like we've got our shit together at least a little bit better Mm -hmm. to be able to catch these guys. Okay. So after nine days of uneventful surveillance in which Bonin worked at dependable driveway. So he's, he went back to working for them, which is crazy. Um, He visited friends and returned to his residence. And then on June 11th, 1980 police observed Bonin driving in a seemingly random manner throughout Hollywood unsuccessfully attempting to lure five separate teenage boys into his van before succeeding in luring a youth into his vehicle. The police followed Bonin until his van parked in a service station parking lot close to the Hollywood freeway. They discreetly approached the vehicle upon hearing muffled screams and banging sounds emanating from inside the van. These plainclothes officers forced their way into the vehicle, discovering Bonin in the act of raping 17-year-old Orange County runaway Harold Mm. Eugene Tate, whom he had handcuffed and bound. So they at least were able to rescue this child. I mean, already he was enduring. Yeah. So there's no denying it now. Mm -mm. Like, they caught him red-handed. So initially charged with the rape of a minor and held on suspicion of the murder of Miranda, Bonin was detained in lieu of a $250,000 bond. Shortly thereafter, Bonin's girlfriend notified his boss of the arrest, adding that the arrest was in connection to the freeway killer case and causing Monroe, 
already apprehensive at Bonin's absence from work that day to become frantic. The following day, Monroe stole Bonin's car and fled to his native Michigan, where he resided temporarily with a friend before his arrest. Um, inside Bonin's van, investigators discovered numerous um, artifacts attesting to his um, culpability in the freeway killer uh, murders. These items included various restraining devices, including lengths of nylon cord, an assortment of knives, a tire iron, and household implements, such as pliers and wire coat hangers. Furthermore, a forensic examination of the interior of Bonin's van and later sections of his home revealed extensive traces of blood stains. That's what I've been thinking about this whole time. The it's blood. like, there's got to be blood everywhere. everywhere. Just everywhere. Um, moreover, the inner handles from the passenger side and rear doors of his vehicle had been removed, um, which we talked about. Um, inside the glove box, investigators also discovered a scrapbook of newspaper clippings related. Mm. So his scrapbook came back to slap him his in the trophy. ass. Yep. Um, so confession. Although initially alleging his innocence in the murders, Bonin confessed his guilt to St. John after reading and impassioned letter from the mother of the victim, Sean King, imploring him to reveal the location of her son's body. I can't even imagine. Did they ever get butts? I think so. Yeah, I think, they yeah, to. they get all of them. Um, Bonin made sure to clarify, however, that it was not the ease of the mother's pain, but the knowledge that because King was buried in San Bernardino County, Police would likely um, buy him a hamburger for lunch on the extensive trip, stating, I was dying for a hamburger, and I knew that if I went out with the cops, they would get me a hamburger. <laughs> so that's the only reason why he was going to let the mom know where this her son's body was, just so he could get and a hamburger. hamburger. Uh-huh. He was addicted to McDonald's. That's the problem. Oh. <laughs> <sighs> <sighs> Let's see. So over the course of several evenings, Bonin confessed to abducting, raping, and killing 21 young men and boys in increasingly graphic detail. That's, I can see why this cop cracked because I couldn't stand listening to all that. Of course. Um, he expressed no remorse for his actions, but he did demonstrate extreme embarrass sorry, embarrassment and regret over having been caught. So his only regret was that he got caught. An oh orange my God. An Orange County investigator later recalled that there was not a policeman in that room that did not want to kill Bonin for his confession. Of course. Bonin stated to authorities that his primary accomplice in the murders had been Butts, with Miley and Marina, uh, Monroe being um, active accomplices in other murders. Oh, so he did give him up. Mm -hmm. Bonin was physically linked to many of the murders by blood and semen stains and numerous distinctive green Tristleon-shaped carpet fibers found upon several of the victims' bodies, which were forensically proven to be a precise match with the carpeting in the yeah, rear of Bonin's van. Furthermore, upon three victims' bodies, investigators had discovered hair samples, which mm. were proven to be a precise match with Bonin. Medical... Um, Medical evidence also revealed that six of the murders for which Bonham was charged were committed by unique, uh, by a unique wind-loss strangulation method, which was later referred to the prosecutor at Bonham's Los Angeles County trial as a signature or a trademark. Mm -hmm. um, this was his trademark. 
Um, initially formally arraigned for more murder of grabs on July 25th by July 29th, Bonin had been charged with an additional 15 murders to which he had confessed and upon which the prosecution believed they had sufficient evidence um, to obtain a conviction. In addition to the 16 murder indictments, Bonin was also charged with 11 counts of robbery, one count of sodomy, and one count of mayhem. He was held without bond. Um, on August 8th, all charges were formally submitted against Bonin. Three days later, in accordance with Penal Code Section 987, Bonin, at this stage, without legal representation, was appointed attorney Earl Hansen to act as his legal representative. Um, <clears throat> How can he represent a monster? That I can't even imagine. I can't imagine. Um, he did ask for Hansen to be... Um, uh, to be removed. He was his attorney until October of 1981. At that point, Bonin's request, he was to have him replaced by William Charvet and Tracy Stewart, which I'm wondering once you reach a certain point of having to listen to this, mm -hmm. um, you know, it, I, yeah, I think you would break mentally. Um, of course, like the cup. Mm -hmm. There mm -hmm. is a YouTube, um, link that I'm going to post in the, in our show comments. Um, and it, at about 34 seconds, it starts to talk about, um, you can hear him, William talking about, um, some of the murder and stuff and stuff like that. So his confessions. Uh huh. Yeah. Oh my God. That's gotta be a good one. Um, yeah, it's pretty. Yeah. I was going to play it on here, but um, where we've already gone three episodes in and we're already coming up yeah. on an hour, I'm going to just like, I'll post it in the notes so you guys can go and listen to it. Yeah. Um, so accomplices arrest. So based on Bonin's confession, police obtained a warrant authorizing a search of Butts Lakewood property on the same date as Bonin's initial arraignment. This July 25th search uncovered evidence linking Butts to several of the murders to which Bonin had already confessed. And Butts was brought before a, a municipal court on July 29th and charged with accompanying Bonin on six murders committed between August of 79 and April of 80. He was charged with three counts of robbery in a press statement relating to the police um, investigation into the murders issued on this date. The Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department stated Bonin and Butts are believed to be responsible for the kidnapping, mm -hmm. torture, and murder of at least 21 young males mm -hmm. between May 1979 and June 1980, 14 of which had been committed in their jurisdiction. This spokesperson added that five further murder charges would likely be filed against the men in Orange County in due course. Um, and Butts um, initially, he was proclaiming his innocence. Um, but he soon, he soon confessed, confessed to it. I mean, the evidence against him, it was, it was too, too much. much. Um, so, and I don't think it's 21. I mean, he was, oh no, there's more, it. there's definitely more. more that they just didn't mm -hmm. talk about. Yeah. Um, and I mean, he went into detail too, of what they did to these boys. Um, and I mean, a lot of it is just, it's just so in, in head what anyways it's awful that's all i gotta say about it yeah um i mean and i kept thinking about the pliers they kept bringing up pliers that was in his van and 
like the mutilation to the genitals. They mm-hmm. probably use these use pliers. Letters. So he was just going from bad to worse from once a week to once a day to twice a day. Yeah. I mean, and his mother no is still alive for two years. No. Yeah. And his mother was still alive at this time and his brothers. And I'm like, what are they thinking? But I mean, we've already established that they were not the greatest human beings on earth either. Mm-mm, none of them. Um, he did try to, even though he confessed, he did try to say that he had a limited role in these, but no, um, that's a lie. So, um, let's see when asked why some victims had been subjected to more extensive blunt force trauma than others, but stated that in many instances, Bonin would escalate the level of beatings to which he subjected his victims. If the youth resisted his sexual advances. So, which we kind of saw, like if they, said, no, I don't want to, then he got crazy. Like Mm. he started seeing red. Um, uh, Let's see. So, and then on July 31st, Monroe was arrested in his hometown of Port Huron, Michigan. He was extradited to California and charged with the murder of Wells. Monroe pleaded innocent to all charges against him on August 14th. On August 22nd, Miley, by this stage, was 19 years old was arrested in Texas and subsequently charged by California authorities with the murders of Miranda and McCabe. Mm-hmm. Miley was arrested after having confessed his culpability uh, in the Miranda and McCabe murders in recorded phone conversation with a friend, um, which then sustained Bonin's earlier confession, uh, confession. He initially pleaded innocent to two charges of first-degree murder on December 18th, but pleaded guilty at two separate pretrial hearings in May of 1981. Um, So then it went through, like, the preliminary hearings, you know, going back and forth, um, you know, just kind of going back and forth. And then there's murder trials in L.A. County um, where... You know, they had to go over, like, just to even be the jury and have to listen to this To crap. listen to the evidence. Yeah, and, like, I just, I can't imagine. And to watch him sitting right there knowing he did that. No. And he's probably sitting there with pride. Yeah. He's just, he mm-hmm. doesn't care. He honestly does not care. Um, there is one thing. It says, Miley Monroe testified against Bowden at his Los Angeles County trial, describing in graphic detail the murders in which they had accompanied Bonin. In his testimony delivered on November 17th, Monroe stated that shortly after the murder of Wells, he and Bonin drove to McDonald's. I didn't even know it was McDonald's, but that's what I said. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Gosh, and well, and yeah, and ate lunch on the $10 they took from him. So um, the conviction, let's get to the conviction because I really want this guy dead. I want it. Yeah, I want him dead. Um, Bonin's first trial lasted until January 6th of 1982. On this date, the jury convicted Bonin of 10 of the murders for which he was tried, although he was found not guilty of the murders of Lundgren and King, um, of committing sodomy upon grabs, of committing mayhem upon Lundgren, and of robbing one other victim. Um, so I'm not sure why they let those two go. As the families, I think I'd be very upset. Um, let's see. As he's verdicts, So they didn't do time? Well, oh yeah, he's going to get time. Yeah. But for some of the murders, they didn't convict him of murder. Oh. Yeah. Um, let's see. So as these verdicts were read by the clerk of the court, many relatives and friends of Bowen's um, victims 
wept openly. The following day, the prosecution and defense made alternate pleas for the actual sentence of the jury, um, actual sentence the jury should decide, with Norris requesting the death penalty and Charvet requesting life imprisonment. On January 20th, the jury further found that the special circumstances required within California state law, um, multiple murders and robbery, had been met in 10 murder cases for which they had found Bonin guilty and thus unanimously recommended he receive the death penalty. Um, Bonin was cleared of the sodomy and murder of King because he had led police to the body of the victim in December 1980, which I think is a crack of shit. Um, with the agreement that his leading police to the body could be used against him in court. And therefore the prosecutors had discussed King's disappearance at the trial, but not the discovery of his body. Um, and then he was cleared of the mayhem and murder against Lundgren because according to Lopez, he had uh, strenuously denied committing this particular killing in the interviews he had granted him. So just because he said he didn't do it. Um, let's talk about mm. the sentencing. So in response to the recommendations of the jury, Judge King ordered a um, reconvening of court on February 24th. On this date, Charvet argued for a modification of the sentence recommended by the jury. Despite an impassioned appeal by Charvet on March 12th, King formally sentenced Bonin to death for the 10 murders for which he had been convicted, describing the murders mm. as a gross, revolting affront to human dignity. King further ordered at this hearing that if Bonin's death sentence were commuted to one light, to one of life imprisonment, the sentences should run consecutively. Bonin was ordered to be remanded to the warden of San Quentin State Prison. This prison is insane. Like, I've seen it. It is like, it's major max lockdown. Like, it's like, it's crazy. Um, Nobody's getting out of there. Uh, so to wait execution, um, to await execution in the gas chamber, he remained unmoved upon receipt of this sentence. Having early informed his attorney, he fully expected to be formally received the death penalty. Um, prior to his scheduled second trial in Orange County, Bonin was temporarily removed from death row and held in solitary confinement where he remained until the conclusion of that trial. The security measure was largely due to the fact that he had previously received a severe beating by an incarcerated gang member with whom he had shared a cell. I think he should be beat to a pulp. Um, and have, you know, sticks and shit stuff up, shoved, shoved up, up his, his ass. ass. I know, right? And torture him the same way. That's how they should kill these people. They should kill mm-hmm. them the way they kill the others. It's like, okay, you kill them this way, this is what we're going to, this exactly. is how you're going to die. I agree. I agree. Um, when it came to the Orange County, the initial jury selection, um, they went through a perspective of 204 jurors. Like, they had to go through so many people behind, before they could find somebody that would not, like, oh. yeah, that would not, like, judge him right out of there. So the second conviction from Orange County, um, and on this part, that was August 2nd, they found him guilty of each of the four murders that were in that jurisdiction. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, he was charged with the death penalty. So while on death row, um, in his years on death row, Bonin undertook painting and writing as hobbies. How awesome. We paid for him to do that. 
that they were his favorite colors red. Yep. (laughs) He also wrote a series of short stories called Doing Time, stories from the mind of a death row prisoner with 50 copies initially printed and published at $13 a copy. He also held hopes of publishing a science fiction novel. Over the years, Bonin received several minor awards for his artwork, short stories, and poems. Why are we even awarding him this? For the, that, that's, that, that, the, I can't even explain. I can't even express. I know. And. So he's making money. Mm-hmm. Here's uh, oh this is awful. Okay, Bonin also corresponded with numerous individuals, including the mothers of some of his victims, although he never expressed any regret or remorse um, over having murdered their sons, purposefully withholding information his victims' families sought and seemingly um, deriving pleasure from their discontent. On one occasion, Bonin informed the mother of victim Sean King that her son had been his favorite because he was such a screamer. Now, why would you let that that letter go out? Exactly, because they're supposed to be monitoring everything that comes in and everything and that out. goes out. Conversations, mail, everything. Like, mm-hmm. no, that's just messed up. Like, this guy tortured till the very end. Mm-hmm. He like, did. He should have been killed to right away. Yeah. Like why they have to stay in death row for so long is beyond me. Exactly. Um, he did try to appeal. There were appeals. He is, mm-hmm. His team kept trying to appeal. Um, he would hire new le- lawyers, you know, to do that. Um, he, you know, they tried to like focus in on Bonin's bipolar disorder, um, the sexual ad- abuse he had endured as a child. Um so, you know what? You go get therapy. You don't go out and start slaughtering, Mm-mm. you know, 20, some, 20 plus children. Um, let's see. So, despite upholding Bonin's conviction, so it did go to the, the Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. Um, the Supreme Court poured scorn upon Judge Keene for failing to fully heed a warning um, given by the prosecution prior to the Los Angeles County trial that Monroe had discussed possibility of agreeing to legal representation by um, Charvet uh, prior to his testimony. Um, so this, the Supreme Court didn't like overturn his convictions, but they did, you know, I guess they were not happy with the way Judge King kind of did things. Um, so let's talk about the execution. Oh, please. Bonin was executed by lethal injection inside the gas chamber at San Quentin State Prison on February 23rd, 1996. Guys, that's really not that long ago. Um, let's see. So my kids were 93, 95, and 97. Mm-hmm. So, so they were little. Yeah, so two of my kids have been born when this guy finally thrived. Um, from the time I was a teen, well, young child, teenager, <clears throat> until I had my own children. Um, In a final interview given to local radio station less than 24 hours before he was executed, Bonin claimed he had made peace with the fact that he was about to die, adding that his only major regret in life was that he had not pursued his teenage passion of bowling long enough. What? Teenage passion of bowling long enough to have turned professional. Are you? Wow. Effing kidding me. Oh, my gosh. He expressed his disagreement with the state's 
execute a decision to execute him stating a lot of people believe I should die for what I have done. Yeah. I don't agree. Before further elaborating, I have no anger towards anybody, but that wasn't that doesn't mean I don't think the death penalty is wrong. What about the people he killed? What were their dreams? What a, what a freaky deaky. Bonin denied any responsibility for his actions in this interview, stating, I can say that I feel that these people believe I am guilty and that they feel when I'm executed, they will put closure to it. But that is not the case, and they're going to find that out. It's true. Like, I can't imagine. I think that would hang with you your whole life. Yeah. Um, he opined that he was not the same person he was during his history of crimes and would not be able to live a normal life outside of prison as a result, insisting that he had no control over his actions. Bonin claimed his urge to kill was too strong to resist before expressing this hope. The Lord will understand me and know that I could not help what I did. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. The, the Lord isn't going to even look at you. No. You're going straight down. Mm-hmm. You're going to burn in hell. So at 6 p.m. on the day he was executed, Bonin was moved from his cell to a death watch cell where he ordered his last meal. Two large pizzas, three pints of ice cream, and uh, three six-packs of Coke, which he ate while watching the episode of Jeopardy. His final hours were spent in the company of five individuals whom he had chosen for the occasion. This included his attorney, chaplain, and a prospective biographer. Each later stated that Bonin seemed uh, resigned to his fate. His attorney also added that he had not uh, detected any remorse in his client. At 11.45 p.m., Bonin was escorted from his holding cell to the execution chamber. In his final statement given to the prison warden, one hour prior to his scheduled execution at midnight, Bonin again expressed no remorse for his crimes, for his crimes and left a note that stated, I feel the death penalty is not an answer to the problems at hand. I feel it sends the wrong message to the people of this country. Young people act as they see other people acting instead of as people tell them to act. I would advise that when a person has a thought of doing anything serious against the law, that before they did, they should do a quiet, they should go to a quiet place and think about it seriously. Whatever. Yeah. He's full of shit. Bonin was pronounced dead at 1213 a.m. He was 49 at the time of his um, execution. Um, none of his relatives came to his, um, of course, I wouldn't have. Um, So a little bit about the aftermath. I mean, I can't even imagine like the whole aftermath of what this man, um, laid behind him, but his 61 year old father died of cirrhosis of the liver, um, Mm -hmm. on October 11th, 1980, his condition was, um, sourced from his excessive alcohol, Mm -hmm. um, the Bonin's family refused to claim his remains in the weeks following. Um, his remains were uh, cremated in a private ceremony with none of his family members present. Um, and his ashes were later scattered over the Pacific Ocean. That makes me sick because I used to swim in the Pacific Ocean. <laughs> mm. um, three weeks after Bonin's execution, authorities discovered that his mother had openly exploited an administrative error pertaining to her son's social security disability payments, um, which Bonin had begun receiving for mental disability in 1972. 
um, and what should have been terminated upon his 1982 mm-hmm. imprisonment. So his mom was just a, an awesome piece of work as oh, well. Oh, yeah. Um, lots of aftermath. I do just want to circle around back to the to those that did pass away here um, and just say, you know, like your fam, the families and stuff of these individuals, I can't imagine what they went through or, you know, what they continue even maybe to go through. Because um, to me, this is something that would stick around. Nowadays. Yeah, like this is something that would <sighs> stick around, I think, for most of their life. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of them, most of them died by, you know, strangulation and, and everything. And my sources for this was Wikipedia, Murder, Murderpedia, and then the YouTube video. And guys, I am, I cannot tell you how grateful I am to be done with this episode because yes. this man's energy has just been in front of me for about a month and a half. And I am finally free of this. And I'm so grateful to be free of this man. I don't blame you at all. Yeah. I'm glad this is done too. I know. This was a, a really, it's very heinous. It's just. There's no words to describe no. it. No, he, and I don't no. care what the excuse, you can be a sick individual, but you don't. Yeah, and if anyone ever knows about child abuse, mm-hmm. um, sex slavery, um, any of that, human trafficking, anything, report it, report yes. it, ask for help. There's uh, resources out mm-hmm. there, especially with child abuse. I yeah. mean, don't reach out to your local cops, cops and, yeah. and, and call and report and say, hey, I hear too much going up upstairs next door. Too many, too much crying, too much. I'd rather it be reported than overlooked and mm-hmm. then horrible things exactly. happen. Exactly. And then find out later, man, I could have done something. Yes. And, you know, because that's something you can live with for the rest of your life yep. if you don't. Yeah. Um, I had a neighbor upstairs that this woman constantly yelling at this little toddler and she would hit him and say not don't cry well bitch don't hit him yeah exactly and i called the cops and i said i can't take it anymore i said you guys got to do something because i can't it's all day long and i have to work with that in my background like please did they come and do anything they did and it stopped okay good it stopped but i think eventually they probably moved out or something. Oh gosh. Some people should just not be parents. I'm no. sorry. They shouldn't. They should have taken her. Yeah. Oh my gosh. They and they kept coming back. We can't find the apartment. I said, it's behind me. I mean, and I said, maybe it's the one downstairs, upstairs. I don't know, but it's the the apartment's behind me. And then you can hear like I said, you hear her, you hear her, please. Just knock on everybody's door on this side and, find and just out find out who, which kid is crying. I mean, yeah, please. And it did stop. Thank goodness. But then after a couple months, because I could hear her, uh, like she would scream, like she would put it in a bathroom where it was muffled. Uh-huh. But a few months later, they were gone. There was other people moved in. So, and they're just as bad. But these are teenagers that are arguing with their parents, so. I just wanted to quickly look at John St. John's photo, because I want to see. See if you can upload Oh, yeah, it. that's him. I mean, if this is him, that looks exactly like the guy. So. That picture right there? Uh-huh, John T. St. John. I think so. 
he looks, yeah, he looks like her, her, like, this maybe, but yeah, interesting. Well, I'm going to read the card, and then we'll tell you where to find us, Mm -hmm. and we'll go from there. So the card that was pulled for the last episode is number 61, Whale Song. Um, It's remembering, harmonizing, and resonating. Yes, we need to harmonize Mm -hmm. right now. (laughs) There are moments in life when you have a sense of deja vu, that you visited this place, these feelings, this person before, and you know that a new opportunity to dance has come around again. Yet there is a haunting quality to this, a melancholy as life's mysterious fragility is also underlined. Like a whale song that pleads for its simple notes to be matched by another, you have a short time to capture this essence and let it resonate in a way that is potentially transformative, but only if you don't turn away. Um, Sometimes you may forget the moments of your humanity, your truest desires, because you've become so earthbound and calculating, striving and doing. You're so overstimulated by the chase and what you, um, you're exposed to that you forget your heart. Um, so it's saying now's the time to jump in the water and play and be reminded of your creative self, your collaborative impulse to sing along, seeking harmony, beauty, purpose, and meaning. At this moment, that is your exact invitation. You will mm-hmm. achieve more than the plans you set in motion if you use this opportunity to explore, be curious, and take a much-needed break from what your mind thinks it needs to accomplish. Your heart is calling. Answer it. I like that. That's a good yeah. one for the end. Yeah. That's a good one for the end. All right, guys. So you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcast, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, Samsung Podcast, Podcast Inbox, Deezer, Listen Notes, Stitcher, Pandora, Google Podcasts, RSS, and TuneIn. You can email us. We're asking you, please email us your stories, your suggestions, what you want to hear at whathappensafterdarkll at gmail.com. And you can find us on social media under Facebook as Luna Wad, W-H-A-D, Lee. And Instagram, we're under what happens after dark LL. And on TikTok as WAD1210. Also, we have a Patreon site if you want to make donations so that we can continue with this adventure. And um, we want to uh, start uh, creating some kind of merchandise and things that we can um, give back to our patrons as a thank you. Yeah. So that will help us get that started. Uh, so if you go to patreon.com. And look us up at What Happens After Dark. And if you want to donate there, please do. We will be greatly appreciated. Um, So, yeah, that's what we have. And thank you so much for being here with us tonight. Until next episode, thank you so much. Stay safe and bye. bye.